You're listening to the ANA Podcast Network, powered by Odyssey, a leading multi-platform audio content and entertainment company. Listen on the Odyssey app. For Beyond Profit, a podcast of the ANA Center for Brand Purpose, I'm Ken Beaulieu. Branding expert Jay Mandel says marketing and life have a lot in common. The age-old rules don't apply anymore, nor does the notion of following a granular path. To unlock authentic potential, he says, you must look beyond what's inherently visible and break free from the expectations of others. It was that mindset that helped Jay find authenticity, purpose, and personal fulfillment, both in marketing and in life. And it's a message that he willingly shares as a business owner, consultant, coach, professor, and author, including in his new book, Brand Strategy in Three Steps, A Purpose-Driven Approach to Branding. For Jay, self-discovery is the first step toward establishing one's brand, driving purpose initiatives, and creating movements. And he joins me to discuss his own transformative journey, ways to find purpose in the workplace, how to design a purposeful roadmap for marketing, and much more. Jay, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So you have said, Jay, that you spent the first two decades of your working life living someone else's dreams, which is interesting. So what effect did that have on you? And how did you find your personal purpose and unique identity? I have to tell you, I was living the life trajectory that I was supposed to lead, but I didn't know that that's what I was supposed to lead. You know, the age old story when the parent has the the baby and the baby supposed to be a doctor or, or a lawyer or a very successful person. The expectations for me was that he would be a successful corporate person. Uh, he would have a family, two kids, and nothing would ever go wrong. And I don't know about everyone listening, but I don't think that's the way of life anymore. And, and it really, really hit me that I was not fulfilling what I needed to fulfill in my life in order to just, I just wasn't living fully. I was successful. Don't get me wrong. I had a team of people. I worked on uh, global digital marketing at MasterCard. I worked at other companies. On paper, everything seemed to be good until I was let go. (laughs) And then I had to figure it out. And so I had a career in corporate America solely in digital marketing. And um, one day after I was let go, I went to a workshop at Columbia University, my alma mater. The workshop was called Reverse Engineering Your Career from Your Passion. And at that workshop, the facilitator, whose name is Pedro Manrique, said that in order to know where you're going, in order to measure your success, you need to lay out your core values. And that day, it was a January, I think it was January of 2018, I defined three core values, candor, curiosity, and collaboration. And when I defined those core values, I made a very strategic decision that I needed to take my career by the horns. And I started my entrepreneurial journey. And I also made some significant personal decisions that affect my life. And I apply the core values that I came up with to everything I do, to everyone I meet. But it's really weird for me to think to myself that I made it to 40 years 
without having that guiding light going through life and just, oh, I'll take that job. It's not quite what I want to do, but you know, the money's more or, oh, I'll, I'll do that because uh, of the benefits that I get or, oh, they called me back. So that's the job I'll, I'll take, you know, and it's just remarkable to me to think about how so many people lead their life by chance. And I realized that if I apply these core values to my life, I can really set a trajectory that is on my terms. Well, living your life on your terms comes with some risk, I would assume, Jay. How difficult was that to sort of overcome? I'm still trying to overcome the risk. Yeah, you know, I'm six years into my entrepreneurial journey and I'm able to feed my family. I'm able to pay my rent. And I, you know, uh, but I'd really like to to move beyond that and and get to a level of more comfort. I think that the the world that we're living in right now for everyone, we're all being stretched um, in many, many different directions. And I have to tell you that I am continually heading in the right direction. And I think that's all anyone could do. I see the forest through the trees now. I set goals every year right around this time of year and in, in the uh, leading into the fall and, and, and getting ready for the new year. And I start to think, okay, last year I got five steady clients under my belt. Next year, I need to figure out how to scale and do things that are uh, more significant uh, with regards to how I work and when I work. And I really am trying to shift my focus now from Jay's doing everything to Jay's doing only the most important things that are worth uh, my time and are serving my clients in the best way possible. So I recently went on a trip to India. I met my team that I've worked with for five years that started with one article. Now I have 20 people in India that are working on my client's work, that are creating thoughtful work. And I've made the strategic decision that I'm not going to be the, the founder that is losing sleep every night about a, a, about a blog post. I'm going to be the founder that cares about the blog post, that has a trusted team that can create great blog posts that are based on the upfront hard work and strategy that we've done together. It's not me, it's not them, it's all of us, and it's also the clients. My philosophy on my work is that I treat it from a coaching perspective, not done for you. And I think that's a big flaw in some of the, the marketing that we see. You hire an agency, you, you hold them to the, this high standard, you get a bunch of people that are junior, that don't quite have the context or experience to really deliver for you. And then you, you wonder why it went wrong. Well, in my world, what I'm doing right now is I am working to create systems that allow for me to step in where I need to step in and have the most impact possible for my clients, but holding them accountable to the process and knowing that if they are part of what we're creating, that's when it's gonna have legs and that's when it's gonna spread throughout the organization because they actually believe in it. 
that's sort of what I'm working on. I'm working on, on like, listen, I'm not where I am today because I keep on doing what I used to do every day, every week, every month, every year is a very strategic milestone that progresses every time. And to that end, Jay, that means looking beyond the job description, which is really difficult for most employees. So how do folks tap into their core values? What's your advice? To not look at the job description at first. I mean, the first advice would be to define them. And I have workshops and anyone who listens to this podcast can uh, go to my website, jmandel.com and just reach out to me and, and we can have a discussion about how to define core values. But there are also plenty of resources out there uh, that you could use on the internet to define your core values. I'm a person, a sounding board that could help you. Once you've defined those values, once you know where you stand, once you remember them, it's one thing to create core values and then put them up on a shelf and forget about them. It's another thing to create core values and recite them, candor, curiosity, collaboration. They have to be simple and they have to be core, okay? But once you have those values, then it's not about just doing what most people think to do when applying for a job, which is go on job boards like LinkedIn and hit a button. You know, we have AI these days. We have a lot of tools and techniques that will allow you to differentiate yourself and create a custom pitch for every single thing you apply to. It's not that hard. Now, and now I'm not saying just go into AI and just say, create a pitch. I'm saying do very specific prompts as to why you should stand out. But if you think that you're going to go into this job hunting thing and, and you're going to find a job by getting some introductory HR analyst to take your job out of the, the, the job board and then find you and hire you through all the processes that happen in corporate America or wherever you're going, you're, you're out of your mind. <laughs> what you need to do in order to find something that aligns with your passion is you need to network. You need to have a platform. You need to have a movement. That's what you know. the book talks about. When you go from your core values to your simple marketing promise, which is something that Seth Godin created. The simple marketing promise is my product is for people who believe, I'll focus on people who want, and I promise that engaging with what I make will help you get. If you could marry your, your values with that promise, then you know who you're talking to and you know what they want and what they need and what you need to say. And then you need to say it. So, you know, this world of LinkedIn and and all these other forums and uh, you have Substack and you have Medium, anyone could be a publisher these days, but that doesn't mean that anyone is going to get an audience. You have to be constantly thinking about what you're going to say, how you're going to say it, and how you're going to just keep spreading that word. And you also have to remember that in this world where the social networks are in charge of what gets the light of day and what doesn't. Just because you didn't get a million likes doesn't mean that people didn't see you. So I'll tell you a, a funny story. I, I was in the elevator in a building and I saw someone that I used to work with at MasterCard. And I said, hi, how are you? Um, what are you up to? And she told me about her her new role and and this and that. And then I said to her after that, I'm like, well, I am an entrepreneur and a coach. And she's like, I know. And this was just an acquaintance. And so that you can't, you can't take that lightly. 
And so when you're looking for a job or you're looking to make an impression and you know that that the world has seen what you're up to, and then you reach out to them and say, hey, I'd like to have a little conversation with, with you. And it's not a threatening conversation. This is a, a conversation that is not designed to materialize in a week or two weeks. It's not, I need a job, help me out. It's making people aware of the value that you're adding that is based on your values. And when you do that, people tend to raise their hand and, and reach out to you when they need you, not when you need them. Yeah. So it's sometimes quite frustrating to wait <laughs> for people to need you. But when they need you, it's a lot easier of a sale than pressuring them into buying something. You obviously took the proverbial bull by the horns with your career path. But what role do managers play in helping employees find their unique identity? Are managers responsible for making sure that the C-suite finds them? What is that process? In well, your it, mind? It's about leadership. You know, and, and in my life, I've had bosses. I never use the term boss. I hate that term. It reminds me of The <laughs> Sopranos. You know, like, like I'm not, I don't work for the boss. Like, I, I have a manager or, or someone that hopefully is also a mentor that, that is not threatened by me and, and, and the skills that I have, which happens all the time, that isn't hoarding information uh, because they believe that uh, if I had that information, I would leapfrog them, you know, the managers that were looking out for their team and looking out for the outcomes and the results are the ones I still am in touch with today. The, the ones that I that I just trusted that I that were in it with me that that had a skill set that wasn't the skill set that I originally had. I cannot believe that I am hanging my hat on strategy uh, with my career right now. If, if it wasn't for people like Adam Breitman, who I work with at MasterCard, you might even know Adam Breitman, like uh, he's now at McKinsey, and other people that I've worked with in my, my career that shed light on a new worldview uh, for me. When I did OKRs earlier in my career, objectives and key results, I didn't fully understand what the impact I was making and, and how that impact affected the, the overarching company. But now I lead workshops where I help people define OKRs that are not only meaningful to the individuals that are in the middle, but also can shine a light on the whole organization. And I think that comes with experience. So it's, it's literally picking people that you know and trust. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, I have worked with lots of people that have sold me lots of bills of goods. And I have been burned a bunch of times by people who were looking out for themselves, looking out for their bottom line, were under pressure to make a lot of money, that tried to overcharge people for things that weren't adding value. And I have made a deliberate decision to get them out of my life. <laughs> no one like that is in my circle right now. Mm -hmm. And if I miss the warning signs and start to see that someone that I let into my circle of trust is not in it and is not adding reciprocity um, with me and, and for my clients, they're gone. Like, mm -hmm. I don't have the liberty. I can't afford 
to allow people that I don't fully trust into my life. And so now I have a handful of people that I go to for this project or that project or this project that have been there, been through the mud with me and are leading uh, the way. And a lot of those people are people that I work with in the past. Interesting perspective. So uh, Jay, I'd like to move the conversation now from people to brands. What are some of the steps that brands must take to really define their social purpose or should I say their true standing in the world? They need to do their core values and their simple marketing promise first. And they need to put a stake in the ground. They need to have a point of view. They need to have an opinion. They need to focus on emotions and vulnerability rather than facts and figures. Brands over the years could have said, you know, I sell seltzer and seltzer is bubbly water. But think about all the brands of seltzer and all the different things that go into why the, the seltzer was started. There are companies that are, are, are started based on the fact that their children are diabetic and you can't have sugar or whatever it may be. Legacy companies, it's very difficult for a company to start to manufacture a purpose. New companies, it's like I started this company because I saw that there were no beverages that didn't have sugary uh, ingredients. I mean, that's an easy story to take through. But when you work for a company that is, uh, let's say, selling insurance, there has to be something about the insurance that is sold that is different, special, and unique. And if you hold on to the fact that we do it fast and we uh, we are prompt with our uh, payments and, and this and that, that, no one cares about that. Mm -hmm. What you need to do is you need to find individuals that are in the world that have a problem that you can insert yourself into and meaningfully add value. So... I do months-long discovery processes that include all these different digital artifacts that we're talking about. There's a statement that I work on. I don't do mission, vision, values. I do purpose, way, impact. Because I find that when I look at mission, vision, values of companies, it feels written by committee, and it feels like very forgettable. But when you say purpose... That's the overarching vision. Right. The way is what you're going to do and 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 how you're going to do it. And then the impact that you are going to have as a result of that overarching purpose and the overarch and the way that you're going to do it, then you have an impact. So when you do all those things, then and only then it will feel easy to come up with purposeful narratives and and positioning for a company. But you, you can't go in and, and just like go into chat GPT and say, create a purpose statement for my company, <laughs> you know, months and months and months of planning and also debate. And also what we're talking about with the clients, when the client is invested and involved and you're not just handing them, this is your purpose. Like that will never work. Jay, I mean, there are, there are plenty of brands out there that want to express a point of view, but are concerned about alienating their customer base. How do you get, get over that fear? As Nike says, just do it. Well, you're not going to alienate your customer base, but I'll tell you something. If you play it safe and you believe in a construct that has just passed us by, you're not going to succeed. Now I'm going to get into Taylor Swift. 
Let's talk about what's going on right now with with Taylor Swift and 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 uh, Travis. Okay, I've had debates with people in the marketing community that say that this is all an elaborate marketing scheme. That some people got in a room and said, "Wow, who should Taylor Swift go out with?" and and then they 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 match them up. And this is marketing conspiracy theory. One yeah, and I've heard this sort of yeah conspiracy yeah. as well. Let's right? let's match them up, <laughs> and let's create a movement that is taking the NFL and exposing it to a brand new audience of lots of teenagers that all love Taylor Swift and all the effects of what's happening with Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey that are happening are not following the construct of the way we all learned how to do marketing. There's not one single ad. There's not one single blog post that says, you know, oh, and today Taylor Swift did this. this. I wouldn't even know where to go. But what's happening is when Taylor Swift shows up to a concert hidden in some sort of like vending machine uh, because she can't walk in, it creates anticipation, excitement, and and then people notice. And then when, when Taylor Swift doesn't show up to the game and he loses, oh my God, like that that is the future of marketing. So my going back to your question about what, 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 what do we say to a brand that's afraid to tell it like it is, either you do it or you die. Hello, Beyond Profit listener. Is it possible to transform purpose into profit? You bet. And it starts by downloading the complimentary BPP framework offered through the Center for Brand Purpose in partnership with Grounded World. Comprising belief, purpose, and pursuits, the framework provides all key stakeholders within your organization with a blueprint to drive innovation, culture, and communication. And if used correctly, it will unite the why of your purpose with the way of profit to drive growth and social impact. To learn more, visit ana.net slash purpose framework. And now back to the show. I am speaking today with branding expert Jay Mandel, author of Brand Strategy in Three Steps. Jay, uh, you believe that a purposeful roadmap for marketing must be deeply personal and not formulaic. Hoping you can just elaborate a bit on that sentiment. Yeah, I think that Stating facts and figures is boring. And I think that companies are made of people. And I think when people join companies for a reason, they perform better because they are invested in what they do. And so I remember when I worked in corporate America that I had to write on my, my LinkedIn articles and bios that the opinions expressed here are Jay's opinions, not the opinions of his employer. I don't have to do that as an entrepreneur right now. And I like to experiment. I like to play. And I like to think that uh, companies should be going to the place of, of experimentation and play. And a lot of them are. I'm, I'm an instructor for the ANA. And I also know that a lot of companies in the ANA are not new startups. They're companies that have been around for a while. 
But the idea of going into your social media and scheduling a month in advance and then then programming it to, to come out on a certain day and saying these generic statements that no one could latch onto or even debate, that has to stop. The companies that are, are, are free with their social media, like so for example, I have a silly little a TikTok that I use. It's called Time for a New Sign. Where as I walk around Manhattan or wherever I am, I look at signs that are up there that should be a moment of pride for a company. But it's like, okay, I'm a dry cleaner, but I have the dirtiest sign out there. You know, it's time for a new sign. And and so when I see something, I post it. I'm not scheduling it. I'm not, I'm not waiting four days to put it up. You know, and I think there's an there's an importance in scheduling, but there's also an importance of standing for something. So, like, nothing bothers me more than all these companies that are wishing you a happy sweater day, or a happy uh, squash day, or a happy bottled water day. These are invented holidays that don't mean anything to anyone. No one's marking their calendar for National Bottled Water Day. Hopefully, there's no National Bottled Water Day because that's a ridiculous. That's even more ridiculous than most. There prob Jay. There probably is. There probably is. <laughs> but my point that I'm making here is that you know you're you're interrupting someone's day to tell them something that they don't care about, and that's how you become irrelevant. You know, even if the holiday is exactly what you do as a company, it's not a real holiday. It's invented. And speaking of invented, we're in this world where we're entering the holiday season. You know what else was invented? Prime. Mm -hmm. You know what else was invented? Prime Day. You know that Prime Day was something that was successful in the summer. So why don't we do it in October as well? You know, there's so many things that successful marketers take the liberty to invent that are useful and relevant. I'm all for Prime Day. I'm not for over consumer uh in everything i'm mm -hmm. uh, you know i'm i'm not for the ex walmart did an interesting thing they basically said that black friday uh is a day that gives a lot of people pressure and black friday is a holiday a holiday well and also we have after black friday we have small business saturday then we have uh giving tuesday and we have cyber monday so all these holidays are different than what black friday used to be so in this changing time, what Walmart did was they did some research and they realized that we could have sales throughout the lead up to the holiday season every Wednesday. And that is logical and that makes sense. And then, then they do an ad with Mean Girls and they, they connect relevance, cultural relevance with an idea that is customer focused. It's customer focused in the sense that Black Friday is no longer the same as what it used to be. So we don't have to wait to trample each other in the store on the Friday after uh, Thanksgiving. We could buy stuff throughout throughout the time. But my thing um, when we're thinking bigger about this is why don't we have a Black Friday deal on my electricity? Why don't we have a Black Friday deal on my rent? Like, you know, do I really need another $148 TV? No, I don't. I don't need another speaker that connects to my Bluetooth. Like, I think that our society, there has to be some sort of reckoning with all this consumerism and people just buying stuff. 
buying stuff doesn't make anyone happy. Going back to the life I was leading before, that's what I was doing. I was just, you know, I was, I was, I was signing up for this. I was doing this. I was doing that. I'm happier now with less stuff because the stuff that I have, and this goes back to the MasterCard, you know, objects uh, carry the meaning that you assign to them. Experiences matter more than things. That was that was positioning that we did. And that was based on real insights. But the companies that are still believing that you could just sort of shove something that people don't need down their throat and think that they're going to just continually just support you because that's what's happened in the past. It's a different time. Jay, I uh, certainly uh, appreciate your candor and I love the way you think. You mentioned the core value, candor. Yes, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Um, you mentioned a couple of times about being customer focused and that's um, truly one way to start a movement. What other ways would you suggest that brands consider um, as they're trying to you know, launch a sincere movement to all stakeholders? I think it's em em empl uh, employees are a big part of it. You know, employees want to feel like they're they're building something and creating something. And there were times in my career where we would uh, sit in committee meetings and, and try and figure out what charity we were going to support. That's not the way to do it anymore. The way to do it is, is something called creating shared value. And when you are, as a company, creating something that your employees believe in and that does something good for the world and you're making a profit with it, that's it. You got to make sure your house is in order. Uh, I mean, that's it. You've got to make sure that as a company, what you're doing, what you're saying, how you're saying it will lead you to where it needs to lead you. There are there are two stories of, of brands. Um, one, I think, is called The Honest Company. Um, there's another uh, uh, another brand like The Honest Company that were D2C companies that had a great purposeful idea. But they ran into lots of trouble because they were competing with Amazon. And this whole D to C thing that everyone was so excited about isn't quite as promising as one could have believed it to be. So the idea of going to a website and ordering your diapers on a monthly basis is a, is a great idea until you subscribe for the diapers and then you have too many diapers. I accidentally ordered deodorant and went on the, the, the three-month uh, thing. Now I have seven deodorants that that don't work as well as the other deodorant that I used to use. They're natural deodorants. Like if you're going to sell natural deodorants, you better make sure that that natural deodorant works. But don't trick your customers into signing up like, oh, it will be convenient for you to have this deodorant every three months. It's convenient until you have 20 uh, deodorants sitting in your, in your closet. <laughs> and then when you try and cancel the deodorant, when you try and cancel that deodorant, where is it on the website to cancel? It was very easy to subscribe. Not that easy to, to cancel. Mm -hmm. So what I'm basically saying is if you take this all back, as a company, if you're doing something that is serving your employees and, and yourself and, and you've, you've, you've dotted your I's and you've crossed your T's and you've done all the right things and you're positioned for success in reality, you're not positioned in success for success to be acquired and be rescued. 
which is what a lot of companies do. They, they forget about all the details and like, oh, someone's going to save us. Someone's going to save us. No, you need to, as a company, think about business and think about marketing. In terms of like the next wave of marketers, you have said that their ideas don't fit into a neat little box, that they see endless possibilities, which I think is great and sort of takes this conversation full circle with, with, with what you're thinking way back when. So how does a brand harness that thinking and energy for competitive advantage? I think they have to hire the right people, and I think they have to empower the people to do what needs to be done as opposed to creating structured hierarchies that uh, manage out of fear. Um, you know, if a company could be nimble enough to um, do what Elon Musk does when he's trying to figure out how to get a rocket to Mars, uh, that's different than a company that is so rigid that did this whole cascading, uh, you know, like, you know, waterfall of design, you know, it has to be iterative. It has to be iterative. And when it's iterative and when you have the ability to scrap something that is not performing well, when you look at the data and you're able to see, okay, I see something and, and I know who to talk to or what to do in order to make that subtle shift to make things better for everyone, that's when things start to work out. But if you're so rigid and so stubborn, and it's like, oh, we put all our energy in this release, but it's stupid, but we're gonna keep on doing it. <laughs> That's not gonna work. Well, Jay, thank you so much for joining me on Beyond Profit. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you for having me. To learn more about Jay's work or obtain a copy of his new book, please visit jmandel.com. That's jmandel.com. And if you would like to recommend a speaker or a topic for this podcast, please email me at brandpurpose at ana.net. Until next time, thanks for listening. This has been a presentation of the ANA Podcast Network, powered by Odyssey.